I really don't believe the Bible is going to grab any of our attention if we don't see how it connects to our life. Amen. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, please don't just read the Bible because you're supposed to. Mm-hmm. Read the Bible because it answers a question you're asking. Amen. Figure out what the heck questions you're actually asking. Because yes. if you don't have a question you're asking, it probably means you're not on a mission in life. That's a good question for interviews, by the way. What's the problem you're trying to solve or the question you, you, you're trying to answer right now? What are you working on? And people go, I don't really know. Or I'm doing this, this, and this. But I, I really do think that, that the reason the Bible is boring to a lot of people is it's not answering questions they're trying to work on. Okay. 15 observations about Saul's conversions. One, two, three, go. Number one, sometimes people are sincere including me, and yet we're sincerely wrong, and that's the hardest kind of blindness to discern. Imagine being a slave-owning Christian 250 years back, and you think it's biblical. It's really hard to discern that kind of blindness, isn't it? Apparently. And it's really easy for us, living in this day and age, to be like, idiots and judge them but what are we blind to that comes right up in our culture and future generations with the spirit of jesus are going to go oh my word let's just cancel them cancel me (laughs) maybe maybe so we'll find out won't we get straight to heaven and go oh okay i'm sorry number two so that was number one sometimes people are sincere but sincerely wrong and that's the hardest kind of blindness to discern Number two, God can reach the unreachable. People that you and I literally just want God to kill. Yeah, I said it in church. You can admit it. There's some Hitlers that we just are like, kill that guy, Lord. Please. There's some Osama bin Ladens. We're just like, kill that guy. There's some terrorists. There's some, there's some people who shoot up kids' schools. There's some people who just abuse their wife and kids and they're drunk or whatever. There's some psychopaths and we're like, just kill that guy, Lord. I'm not saying we say it out loud. I'm just saying we feel it. And God can save those people. God can change people that you and I think are beyond changing and beyond saving. I'm not saying he will. I'm saying he can. And, and if we don't realize we're one of those people, then we're blind to ourselves still, aren't we? If we're still of the illusion that I'm a good person and I didn't need Jesus to do miracles on me to get me to begin to wake up to his love, that's silly. Okay. God can reach the unreachables, point number two. God can reach the unreachable. Point number three. An encounter with Jesus can change people more effectively than literally anything else on planet Earth. An encounter with Jesus is more effective at changing people than literally anything else on planet Earth. There's no self-help. There's no counselor. There's no medication. There's no program that is as effective. There's no professional. There's no person with multiple PhDs. There's no trauma someone went through and they got out of it and now they have the skills to help that's ever going to be as helpful as an encounter with Jesus. It doesn't exist. 
And the fact that people can be helped by those programs is because of my Jesus, giving them grace to keep those programs going and giving them insight to craft those programs effectively. There is no one on planet Earth that is ever going to be as effective as an encounter with Jesus at changing people. I just heard a phone. I don't know why I'm hearing a phone in church. It's totally inappropriate. Number four. Note to self, silence your phone, Tim, before you say that to people. Let's see. Focus. Do not disturb until I leave this location. Excellent. It was on work mode automatically, so it kind of... Okay. Hypocrite, Tim! We're on number four. Number four. Jesus is alive and active on planet Earth in people's lives in ways that you and I have nothing to do with and don't even know about. Jesus is alive and active on planet Earth in people's lives in ways that you and I have nothing to do with and don't even know about. Jesus is alive and active in people's lives on planet Earth in ways that have nothing to do with you and me. We didn't pray for him. We didn't beg him. We didn't command him to go get him, Lord. He's on his own mission. He's alive. He's well. He knows everything. He can do everything. He has a mission. He has a plan. He has a purpose. He wants to involve us, but he's not waiting on us to begin to work in the lives of people. Jesus is alive and active on planet Earth. The church isn't commanding God to care. We're playing catch up with Holy Spirit. He's ahead of us in people's lives. There's no one you've ever laid eyes on that the Lord hasn't already been moving on. That's number four. Jesus is alive and active on planet Earth in people's lives in ways that we have no idea about. Point number five. Jesus wants to involve us. He wants to involve you and me in what he's doing in people's lives. He wants to invite us into it. That seems simple enough, right? He says, Ananias, this is what I'm doing with this, young, with this guy named Saul. You want to get involved with me? Ananias says, no, I do not. I give you exhibit A as not a good mission strategy. Pick someone else. That's hard soil. That's granite rock. That's not even soil at all. And the Lord says, you don't know him. All you see is what he's doing. I see why he's doing it. Number six, Jesus often communicates just the next step, not the whole plan. Just the next step. Hey, go down here. Why? Shh. We just read, if you were reading the book of Acts right up to now, it's an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go out onto the road and head south. And he says, huh? Huh? And that's what he does then. He doesn't give him a destination. He just says, get on the road and start moving that way. The end. God says to Abraham in the Old Testament, hey, get up and leave. Where are we going? I'll show you later. 
You're going to relocate your entire family and rent the U-Hauls and spend three days packing them and wrapping stuff up in boxes and put a for sale sign in your yard. And when people say, where are you going next? You go, ow. Abraham did. A lot of times, Holy Spirit will tell us just the next step. And if we don't obey the little thing, then we're not positioned to obey in the deeply significant thing that has to do with the meaning of our life. I've been thinking about this over and over lately. Jesus said, if you're faithful in a few things, you'll be entrusted with more. Because if you're faithful in a few things, you will be faithful with great things. Because you know what great things are? They're little things. Just a little, those little things. That's all they are. So if we're not faithful in the little things, then we reveal, okay, we're not ready to be entrusted with anything else. And so Holy Spirit will give us little assignments. The assignment is go out on the road and travel south. But that's what qualified him then to notice the Ethiopian eunuch and run up and go, and I love the way he ran. Philip ran. It says he ran. It doesn't say he walked. Come on, people. Could you run? I love it. It's <laughs> a good answer. I don't know. Slow walking, slow driving, slow talking. Sometimes I just kind of want to give people a little gentle shove. There's a famous preacher that I just can't stand because he starts a long story. We all know where it's going to end, and he still takes 20 minutes to tell it. And I'm like, oh, my word. Okay. Jesus often just communicates the next step, not the whole thing. Just the next step. And, and then, well, God's not talking to me lately. But did you do the last thing he told you? All right. Did he tell you to stop yet, or are you supposed to keep doing it? Sometimes he'll just tell you the next step. Hey, get up in the morning, seek me before you do anything else. That might be the kind of thing he tells you. If you're a night owl, maybe he'll tell you something else. Maybe he'll say, hey, once the kids are finally quiet, don't go straight to social media Spend some time with me. Because that's when your brain is clear. Maybe you're not one of these caffeinated, aggressive, going to the gym people who's up at five in the morning. I do that for me. That's me time. That's when we have the, that's just for me. I do it for me. Maybe you're not one of those people. Maybe it takes you a couple hours to be able to think clearly. Maybe Jesus is going to say to you, hey, at night when it's dark and everyone's finally away, sit still with me. I don't know. But if you do it, it'll position you to be in the right place for the next thing. That's too, I talked too long on that point. Jesus often communicates just the next step. That's point six. Point seven, Jesus has a plan for each of us. I mean, you look at Saul and you go, oh my word, pick someone else, Lord. And he goes, no, 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 no. Ananias is like, not him, Lord. And God says, Jesus says, the Lord Jesus says, no, 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 he is my chosen instrument to carry my glory. What are you talking about? He's your chosen instrument. What are you talking about? He's not even saved. He's actively your enemy and you're talking about he's your chosen instrument. I got a plan for him. Oh, Saul was not saved at that point. Oh, I see what you're saying. That's an interesting point. I read this and I started crying. Just thinking about how crazy it is that Saul's the big enemy, the bad guy in the story. And meanwhile, Jesus looks at him and says, he's my chosen instrument. 
Can't help it. I, I see myself in that story. Really? This, you see me when nobody else looks at me this way and you saw me as your chosen instrument to carry your glory. You had a plan for my life. And I look at that and I go, you know what, Lord? You have a plan for everyone's life. You actually want to use every single one of us in a, in a calling, a plan, as your chosen instrument for our specific thing that you designed that fits perfectly like, like a custom-made glove or a custom-made boot. You have a plan. I am your chosen instrument. Even if I don't see it, even if I'm like, make, make me somewhere else, like someone else, make me more like them. I'm 40, what am I, 44, and I'm still trying to be okay with who God made me. I, I'm still, and the Holy Spirit is still talking to me about embracing who he actually made me to be. Like the ADHD thing, or the, I'm not ADHD, I'm ADD. I'm low definition, I'm not high definition. And in our culture, that's called a disorder, right? Attention deficit disorder. But in the Holy Spirit's economy, it's like, no, I, Tim, you're hyper-focused. You're obsessive and hyper-focused. I designed you that way because of the kind of things I, I created you to do. This is not a deficiency. It's just a deficiency if you had a different calling. But you have this calling, and because, it's this, because this is your calling, that's actually an attention uh, deficit advantage or whatever. You're not going to do a three-year program that involves thousands of little things and a constant focus on one thing for three years. You'd lose your mind. You'd get bored. You'd want to move on. But you're, you're supposed to embrace the intensity of radical focus for smaller tasks and really, really push into something obsessively to where you can't even hear that someone talked to you. To where when somebody walks into the room and you're in the middle of the project, they try to talk to you and you're like, ah! Don't break the flow. Don't break the focus. Go away and be quiet and shut my door. Yeah. And, tell the, and tell the kids, don't kick that ball in the house. Because it's distracting and I'm, I've got, I'm hyper, I'm in a zone. And it must be protected at all costs. The flow of the Lord must be protected at all costs. I'm weird like that, right? Yeah, God made me that way. Yeah, I know you are. It's a pro- we, do you lose things constantly? Like, I just had it in my hand and now it's gone. And, and I know it was me and it was no one hijacking me. Other than me. So that was point seven. Jesus has a plan for each of us. Point number eight. Jesus calls, look at this, guys. You, you saw it in the text, right? Jesus calls people by name. He doesn't say, hey, you. He doesn't have volunteer tables. He doesn't have sign-up sheets. He doesn't have volunteer tables and sign-up sheets. He's not sitting around passively waiting for humans generically. He's not the kid at Lowe's that's waiting to see if you want to get new gutters on your house, just standing at a table looking at his phone, hoping someone comes up to talk. That's not Jesus. He walks straight up to people, looks you in the eyes, says your name, and he relates to me that way. He relates to you that way. He has a plan for your life. He calls you by name. He knows you, and he relates to you on the basis of knowing you. He knows you before you knew him. When you weren't sure if he existed, he knew you. When you maybe thought he was the least relevant issue or topic in your life, 
You wanted to live well. You wanted to really be happy, but you didn't think God was related to that program yet. You know? You thought living a meaningful life was having fun. And then you went a little deeper, and you realized, I I need something more than just a little bit of short-term fun. I need meaning and purpose. All that time he knew you, all that time he had a plan for you, and all that time it took your desires, the desires of your heart into account. And when he met you, he didn't say, hey, you, you feel like signing up for a thing that we're all going to be doing? Oh, no? Okay, no problem. No, he looked you in the eyes and he says, your name. He has a plan for each of us, point seven, point eight. He calls people by name, including you and me. Calls people by name. Point nine, did you notice Jesus is interested in conversation? Like he doesn't shut Ananias' doubts and second guessing. He doesn't shut him down like, how, how dare you? I created everything. I could just vaporize you with my eyes. I could just wink at you and you would be like. <laughs> He's actually really humble. He's not easily angered. So, so when Ananias goes, that don't make, let's just make him Southern Delawarean, okay? That don't make no sense, Lord. Lord, I'm going to have to push back on this. Are you sure? And the Lord's like, yeah, I am sure. And he explains it. He actually, the Lord Jesus takes the time to explain to simple peons like you and me so that it's a little easier for us to ease into obedience, he doesn't demand immediate, because this is kind of what I was taught. Good parenting is when you demand immediate obedience. You should be able to give the most arbitrary command to your little slave children. And they should jump and ask, how high? Yes, sir. That's kind of the, the, the parenting books we grew up with, right? You know them, right? right? You put the pencil on the table and you tell the kid, don't you dare touch that pencil. When they touch it, you smack them with the ruler. Teach him who's in charge. Got to teach the kid the pecking order. That's not how he is. He'll actually patiently take the time to explain when we say, that, that's, not, that's not working for me. I'm not doing okay with this instruction that you just said. You said, forgive them. I'm not doing okay with this. And he'll walk me through it. You said, stay in this position even though it's hard. And I'm, I'm struggling with that. And he'll walk you through it. He's actually humble. He's really willing to answer questions and doubts. That's okay. Number nine, he's interested in conversation. Number 10, he's willing to answer our questions, our doubts, our concerns. Number 11. Wait a minute. Oh boy, it's too fast. I will email this out. Number 10, he's humble. What, 10? 10 is he's humble. And he's willing to answer our questions and our doubts and our concerns. I kind of folded it into number nine. That's why it felt like I went real fast all of a sudden. Nine was Jesus is interested in conversation. Eleven. I'm actually trying to move really fast. I really am. Eleven. Jesus factors my history, my personality, my strengths, and my weaknesses into account before He even calls me. I'm not a shock to him. He's not like, oh my word, why can't you be more like fill in the blank with somebody else who's better? You know what I mean? 
He factors your personality, your history, your weaknesses, your strengths, your, your, your sinful tendencies. He factors your personality into his equation before he even calls you. He knows how Saul is. He knows that this guy is not, he's not honey, he's vinegar. He knows that Saul is going to be 100% committed and, and that because he is the way he is, he's, he's not going to walk up and be like, well, friends, uh, I really respect your opinion. I have a different perspective. Let's talk about it. He's going to be like, you're wrong and you need to repent. And then the, the people in the city are going to be like, let's murder him. It'd be fun to murder him. You know, they took a vow, right? They're not going to eat. They're not going to drink till we finally kill this guy. He just, that's how much he got under their skin. They really felt like the world would be improved if there were less of him breathing. And God knew that. This guy isn't going to have favor with Jewish people. Okay, so we know that. Let's send him to the Gentiles. And the whole church said, whew, get that boy out of here. He factors our personality, strengths, weaknesses into his equation. Number 12, Jesus really does pay attention to our prayers. Hey, Ananias, there's a guy named Saul. He's praying to me right now. I need you to go respond to that prayer. He really does pay attention to your prayers. Now, did Saul go, I know this is happening. No, he's, there's, God's invisible in the room. He's aware that he's praying. He's aware that he's super upside down and he's in despair. He's aware that he's not having fun. But he's not aware that the Holy Spirit immediately goes, yep. And then Jesus, at the same time he's in this room, Listening to Saul pray, he's in this room telling Ananias to go, get up and go answer it. Jesus hears our prayers and he responds. That's 12. Number 13, Jesus really sees people's value. We're almost done. Jesus sees people's value. He sees your value even when you stray from his path. I'm, I can't, I'm serious. Saul's actively killing Jesus' minds. Jesus says, you're persecuting me. And even though you're persecuting me, you're still my chosen instrument. I have a plan for you. And then Jesus' love absolutely flips Paul's internal worldview completely on its head. Jesus sees people's value even when we've strayed from God's path even when we've made ourselves God's enemy and even when other people wish God didn't see it even when other people are like oh no 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 Jesus not him pick someone else it's the kingdom's not a democracy and thank God it's not or you and I would have been voted out Well, maybe not all of you. Some of you are really nice. But I probably would have been voted out. How many points did I say? 
Oh, well, we're going to... Okay, let's just do 14. Let's do 14. Jesus has a plan for your life. That sounds so cliche, doesn't it? It sounds cliche, right? 14. Jesus has a plan for your life. Don't you want to know what it is? I don't talk, I'm not just talking about the generic, God has a will for your life. Love God, love people. Like, we know that, right? That, that's, that, we, that's universal. Everyone has that plan for their life. Love God, love people. But I'm talking about the specific. Where, who, how. Because the where, who, and how, that's what I'm talking about with the God has a plan for your life. Where, who, how, when. What? Let's throw that in for fun. Final point, if, if 14 is God has a plan for your life, the final point is, and Jesus wants to guide you into that plan. He wants to guide you into that plan. He's not like, okay, good luck. <laughs> this will be fun to watch them crash and burn. I don't know why he would have that accent anyway or that voice. But he wants to guide, 14, Jesus has a plan for your life. 15, he wants to guide you into that plan. He wants to be known. He wants to be found. He wants to help us. And even once we know him, there's probably going to be times, maybe many times, where yet again we go off that path. And he wants to stay with us off the path and help guide us back on. Recalculating, our GPSs used to say. Now they say, do a (laughs) U-turn. No, Google, I'm not going to do a U-turn. I hate U-turns. I'm going to waste 10 minutes and go in a big square instead. (laughs) No, I will not turn left on this busy road that should have an actual stoplight. Stressing me out. Jesus has a plan for your life, 14, and he wants to guide you into it, number 15. So whoever you are, all of you that I'm looking at, every single person in this room, you are valuable to God. And he has a plan for your life. And like he wants to, this is going to sound wrong. I, I don't want to use the word use, but I'm going to say it. He wants to use you. Not abuse you, not use you. He wants to partner with you. Amen. He wants to cooperate with you to bring beauty and goodness and truth and light and love into the world. He wants to. In significant ways, your life matters for planet Earth. Your life matters for human history. Okay, I'm done. Yeah. What, did you want more? I wanted it to be short and I still managed to make it long. Where's that prayer team? I'm not going to reread through the list, but I will email it out. Okay? And there won't be a test. Actually, there will be. It's called Judgment Day. But um, that's a, kind of a joke. But I, The feeling in my heart as I was reading this passage was, wow, he is my chosen instrument to carry my name. That's the Pat, that's the verse that made me go, I have, to, I, have to, I have to sit here in this. 
in your muck, in your sin, in your mess, in your confusion, in your blindness, in your self-righteous war to fix the world, but it's out of like sync with his heart or his will or who he really is. He still sees me and says, he's my chosen instrument. He still sees you and says, she's my chosen instrument to carry my name. All right, go ahead and stand. I'm just going to pray a benediction today and trust that this prayer team is ready and available. So Holy Spirit, we say thank you. There's areas in which we're blind and we don't know it. And we say, Jesus, would you just encounter us the way you did, Saul, to where suddenly you're there. No forewarning, no foreshadowing, just suddenly you're there and your light changes everything. And we're also, God, remembering there's people in our heart, in our life, in our circles, and it seems like they're unreachable. It seems like they're just bad and they're they're not worth saving. And we ask in Jesus' name for you to do the impossible and encounter them in the same way you encountered Saul. Because we know and we believe that the invisible God is more powerful than the visible world at changing hearts and lives. I ask that this message would have sticky parts to it that would stay with us, that we would remember you want to you talk to us. And you have a plan for our life and you want us to seek your face so that you can guide us into it. And I ask God that you'd remind us to seek your face so you can guide us into your plan for our life. Because your plan is actually better than our plan. Even if we must suffer for your name. Amen.